Good morning. This morning our message comes from Second uh, Timothy chapter uh, 2, verses 1 and 2. However, I'm going to read a couple of extra verses to be able to maintain the context. I'm going to be reading from chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, as well as from the passage in chapter 2. So... <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is God's Word. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for this exhortation that's been uh, presented to us, preserved in your Word, and, uh, and presented to us, we would pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would lead us to an understanding of this, that, uh, we would, that we would receive it, be moved by it, and obey it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> this is the uh, last in a series of sermons that I have entitled Passing the Baton because... Uh, we are now getting ready for the new stage. No, we're moving. We are already moving into the new stage. Chris and Emily are here, and uh, <clears throat> we, uh, we're moving into the new stage of the church's life. And so, uh, in essence, you know, I'm ending what I'm doing, and he's beginning what he's doing, and we're attempting to maintain continuity the way that a couple of re- uh, relay runners would pass the baton off to one another so that uh, the team may win the race. And so that's why I've drawn this message this morning from this passage. Um, <clears throat> I, my wife collects plates. So she's got plates from all over the world. She's got some from uh, the Middle East. She's got plates from England, plates from uh, Italy, uh, some from Germany. She's got some plates that, that she puts in displays Uh, in her kitchen, she displays in her home, changes them out periodically so there's always something new to look at. And so because she does this, I kind of look at plates. I just do. And uh, I was wandering through somebody's house and they had some plates around and I was looking at them, I thought, a little plate with uh, kind of like a castle on it and so on, I said, hey, this is really cool. Where'd you get this from? And the voice from the other room said, well, we got that when we were in Italy. I said, ah, that's really nice. Um, where were you? Yeah, in Florence. That's where we got it. We picked it up in Florence. And I picked the plate up, and I thought, I really like this. It looks very Italian. And I flipped it over, and I went, oh. There's a little gold sticker way down in the bottom. <laughs> You can only imagine what it said on that little gold sticker, right? 
what did it say? <laughs> and I thought, well, this is not genuine. <laughs> you know, and I said, you know, you, you, may, you might want to take a look at this plate when you have time. Just look this thing over, okay? <clears throat> we, we want genuine. We really want genuine. And one of the hazards of the last eight years or so is the word authentic. One of the hazards, or one of the buzzwords, is authentic, and it's most used between, it's frequently used to uh, define something which is verifiably genuine. All right, something which is rooted in a relationship or rooted in a history. <clears throat> I have I have a book on my shelf uh, where the title of the book is called Authentic Community. And it seems to me that there's a different meaning in that word authentic. Because, you know, authentic used to be, this is something that's verifiable, right? Something that's verifiable. You know, I've known people who have done work in Peru, and they have a very colorful rug that's made from uh, alpaca wool, and it was made by South American or Peruvian Indians. And because of the construction of the rug and the kinds of wool that are in it, it can be traced as being genuinely produced by these Peruvians. You would not have found anywhere on this rug a little gold sticker. All right? There are... There are some rare books in some of the seminary libraries in St. Louis, and one of those collections has a study Bible that belonged to Johann Sebastian Bach. His notes are in the Bible. His study notes and some of his thoughts and how those things related to the work that he was doing have been recorded in margins and recorded... Uh, on slips of, of paper, and so that's preserved, and it's traceable, verifiable, it's authentic, it's authentically Johann Sebastian Bach's, okay? So it used to be that the word authentic meant something that was verifiable via history or independent source, it's genuine from an independent source. Nowadays, we find that the word authentic has as part of its meaning this idea of, well, what feels authentic to me, right? What feels authentic to me? It feels right. It feels comfortable. It seems to uh, fit with how I already feel and believe, all right? That is a completely new meaning to the word authentic. That is not how the word authentic or authenticate was originally meant. True Christianity, authentic Christianity, is verifiable objectively. It has a traceable history. All feelings aside, there is something objective about the content of Christian teaching which has its roots in a verifiable history. That's why archaeology is so important. 
That's why the record of those who have gone before and who have written is so important. It's something that says, here's some objective knowledge about Christianity that's been passed on from one generation to the next. It has substance apart from our feelings, which must be acknowledged. It must be viewed as truly authentic. When Paul wrote his letter to young Timothy, he was in prison. He had written other letters, but he was writing this letter in order to confirm to Timothy that there are some things that absolutely had to be held on to. He wrote these young letters not exclusively for the purpose of encouraging Timothy, but to confirm for Timothy the work that God had called him to do. And so he gave specific instructions to Timothy about what he should pay attention to. Hence these verses that I read from 1 Timothy, verses 13 and 14. Hear them again. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You hear what he's saying there? The apostle is saying that there's something authentic in Christianity, that there's something sound, there's something that is healthy, that needs to be held on to. He uses the word he uses these these this phrase sound words. It's the idea of soundness being that of health, that of stability, the wholesomeness which blesses and benefits the hearers. When the Lord Jesus uh, taught, he was teaching healthy words. Now that doesn't mean that sometimes they weren't hard words. They were hard words sometimes. But we need hard words to be challenged as to what to avoid, to be challenged as to what to walk away from, right? But we also hear words of health that is, turn to these things and they will restore your soul. They will restore that sense of blessing. When the apostle wrote, he was writing healthy words which were designed to bless the hearers. They were intended to bless the recipients, even though the words might have been hard. But we need to hear the words that challenge us to let us know that we have a long way to go before we are like the Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the head of the new humanity. We fall so very short, and we need to be reminded all the time what true spiritual health is. So, Paul says, or is he speaking about these sound words that Timothy has heard? And what he says is, follow the pattern. There's a pattern to these sound words. There's a form, there's a shape to it. This idea of pattern is the idea of an image that you recognize that you can call to mind. The image of, let's say, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I placarded Christ before you. Christ and Him crucified. The idea of the image is like this. In the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, 
in Rome, Michelangelo painted these frescoes, these very large, beautiful frescoes. And one, one of them is almost iconic. It's that picture where the creator reaches out with his finger and he's touching the fig- finger of the man he just created. Right? And we understand that as the point of creation, God creating man. And that's, that's an image that we can say, yes, that's Michelangelo. Yes, that's in that chapel. And yes, that's a picture of God doing this thing. Now, you know there's perversions of that picture. There are perversions and corruptions of that picture. Lots of them. And the one that sticks out the most to me, that offends me the most, is where instead of the Creator reaching out and touching the finger of the man, it's a monkey that reaches out and touches the finger of the man. Totally perverting the meaning of the picture. The perversion is that it's really evolution that brought man about. Okay? Like I said, there are lots of others. But the idea that Paul's trying to get across here is that there's a pattern, there's an image, there's a shape to these sound words that are being passed on. So that when we know the pattern, when we know the image, the corruptions are obvious. Timothy, as well as every teacher who follows in the tracks of Timothy, is exhorted to hold on to the pattern of the teachings as well as the healthy teachings themselves. So you might ask, so what's this pattern we're supposed to hold on to? It's an orderly understanding. An orderly understanding of the teachings so that we might really see their significance at the right point in our thinking. And that pattern begins something like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. We recognize that pattern, don't we? The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the summary of teachings in the Bible summarized for the catechumens of the ancient church. And that's taken on different forms throughout history. We especially see its, its expression in the 1500s and the 1600s in the age of creed writing and catechism writing as the gospel was being recovered from all of the accretions that were put upon it through uh, the centuries prior to that. So Paul says this, you follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith. The word follow is, it doesn't seem to have the same kind of thrust as what you see in the Greek itself because the Greek says, keep it, keep it. Hold on to it and do it. Hold on to it and keep it. It's not just holding on to the healthy things. It means to hold to the pattern and the form of those things. The form that we hold on to is as important as the things themselves. Our dear friend and commentator John Calvin says this, Paul knew how ready men are to depart 
or fall off from pure doctrine. For this reason, he earnestly cautions Timothy not to turn aside from that form of teaching which he had received and to regulate his manner of teaching by the rule which had been laid down. This church has been in recovery mode from having lost that pattern of sound teaching. It's been in recovery mode for about six years. And every time we come back and we recite the Westminster Confession or we recite the Catechism, we are attempting to recover this apostolic form of the teaching of the Bible. Now, is it a human summary? Yes, it's a human summary. There's no question. But it's a body of teaching that has been thought through, organized, laid out, so that it protects us from backsliding and from all of those appalling heresies that screw up our lives and from the apostasy which shipwrecks our souls. It protects us, especially if we hold on to that pattern and the teachings themselves. So the apostle goes on to say in verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit that's entrusted to you. Guard it. Guard it. Guard this good report, this good deposit. We are guardians of the body of teaching. We are to be those who, who, who will, there will be those who are going to be determined to corrupt it. They will want to corrupt the teaching because it offends them, it shows them what they really are, it reveals their weakness, it reveals their rebellion, it reveals the majesty of God and how they cannot live up to the majesty of God and they need a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're going to want to, they're going to, want to somehow interrupt that. They will want to pervert it. They will want to bend it to their own purpose. And it requires protection from wicked minds and hearts. People who would take the teachings and import their own ideas into them instead of getting from them what God intends when he says something. And so to guard it, we must know what the teaching is supposed to be and how it is being attacked. We need to know the teachings and know their true meaning. Know the order and the form and the pattern which has been preserved since the days of the apostles. Hold on to these things. Guard them. One of the books that's been used in this church for church officers and anybody else who's interested is Concise Theology, A Guide to Historic Christian Beliefs by J.I. Packer. Now, actually, I had not read this book before. I started reading it recently and I thought, my goodness, this is wonderful. It's clear. It has the practical connections that we need to have as people. It is rooted and anchored in historic Christianity, the way that it's been handed on. This is a great book. So here's my exhortation, Princeville Presbyterian Church. Keep using this book. It's valuable. If you don't have it, get it. If you have it and you haven't read it, read it. If you have it and you have read it, read it again. It's worth it. It really is. Um, I read systematic theologies fairly regularly. 
this is wonderful. And you don't need a seminary degree to figure out what he's talking about. That's the nice thing about Packer. This body of teaching has been handed uh, handed down. Uh, I, I recommend this for the Sunday school teachers, the Iwana teachers, the Bible study leaders, anybody who is digging into the Bible and wants to see it more clearly. This now brings us to the passage, which is really really the focus of what I want to say this morning. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. <clears throat> you then, my child, I could say, you then, my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We must pass this body of teaching along. We must. We must pass. Not only must we, we, we must not only guard it, we must not only follow it, we must pass it along. The vitality and the vigor of the gospel is only as good as the present generation and their faithfulness in handing it to the next generation. Otherwise, we end up like Europe. When you drive past the hospital and the biggest sign on the hospital uh, marquee is emergency psychiatry. I'm serious. What happened to God? What happened to the power, of the spiritual power of a divine Savior? What, what, what happened to looking into the Word for the answers of life? They have become so existential and so inauthentic, relying only on their feelings and only on their imaginations, that they no longer have answers. And we're moving the same direction in this country. The faithfulness and the vitality and the vigor of the Gospels dependent upon faithfully handing it off from one generation to the next. And so Paul's point here is that what's been learned, what has been discerned, whatever's been gained with regard to healthy, wholesome teachings of Christ, these things are not for the mere packing of your head and your heart. Not only are we to hold on to these things, not only are we to follow these things, not only are we to guard these teachings, we must pass them along. The way that I illustrated last week or a couple of weeks ago in the passing of the baton from one runner to another as they're doing a relay around the track. For every minister who teaches and preaches the gospel of the kingdom of God in Christ, those things have been passed along to him. When I open the scriptures to read and to study, I have not gained this stuff just because I'm exceptionally brilliant or because I've uh, somehow figured out the subtleties of the English language better than anybody else. It's No, it's because I have been taught. I've been taught by faithful Bible study teachers when I first became a Christian. I've been taught by faithful disciplers who got a hold of me and taught me how to pray and taught me how to, how to uh, 
to, to share with others. And the same thing goes with our dear brother Chris Carpenter. He's learned from some faithful believer. He's learned from somebody who said, yes, you can study the Bible. I'm going to guide you through it. He grew in knowledge from other faithful believers, whether through books or sermons or guided study or directed discipling. And in cases where a minister is prepared for his ministry, he grew in his knowledge and in his faith underneath the tutelage of scholars and professors who live in the original languages and who live in the teachings of the Scripture because that's what the world is about. Amen. This is what the world is about. It doesn't take the joy out of all of the other things in life. It puts that joy into its proper alignment with what God has intended. Now, consider Timothy. Timothy sat under Paul's teaching in Lystra, Phrygia, Galatia, Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, and then he was given instructions instructions when he was sent to Ephesus. Timothy gained his understanding by the pattern of teachings that were handed off by the Apostle Paul. And there needs to be a growing community of well-instructed, knowledgeable disciples who receive these teachings gladly. Here in this verse, Paul, in a manner of speaking, officially passes the baton to this younger pastor to take up the work that's set before him. Now listen. This is the true apostolic succession. It's not from Peter to the next pope to the next pope to the next pope. True apostolic succession is handing the body of teachings handed off by the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, from those disciples as the apostles handing them off to other disciples, from those disciples and their students handing them off to others, to others, until somebody handed it off to you. That's apostolic succession. And the fact that you're recovering these teachings is a glorious and wonderful thing. I press it upon you. This is a gift of life. Don't let it go. So, really, for 16 months now, I've been handing the baton off to you. Every time I've taught, every time I've preached, I've been handing the baton off to you, Princeville Presbyterian Church, setting the teachings before your eyes, calling you to follow them. My portion of that work is now complete. Hear me. My portion of that work is now complete. And so I need to hand off this work to another And I do so happily. I'm going to ask Chris Carpenter to come up here, of course. (laughs) This is a runner's baton. It's official. This is the one that they would use on a track as they're in competition for a, uh, a track meet, right? It is 
engraved with 2 Timothy 2.2. The things that you've heard from me pass on to others, faithful others, who will be able to pass them on to others still. Brother, you have, you have studied under great teachers. You have been guided by people who love the word and love the Lord. I am one piece in that, however small it is, but my work is finished. Be faithful. You're now the pastor of this church. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you for the way in which you use your servants. Some plow the fields, some plant seeds, some water, some pull weeds, some gather fruit, but we are all laboring to the same end, that the fruit would be born unto the kingdom of God and to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for us all. Thank you for my part in this work, and thank you that Chris Carpenter, Chris and Emily are able to take up the work now that's been prepared for them. So we pray that you'd bless them and bless this whole church. May may this whole church be part of that apostolic succession that hands on these teachings because they are life-giving. They are life-giving. And Lord, may this... May this place be a bright light in this part of the world. We thank you so much for the way in which you deal with us graciously. Continue your gracious work to the glory of your great name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now for a couple of times I'll be coming back. And I will be aiding my brother. He is the pastor, right? But I'll be aiding him because he won't be able to administer Lord's Supper for a couple of months. And <clears throat> he and I together need to straighten out the session. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, I'll be back a couple of times. But... Um, like I said, I'm an aide. But as part of that work of aiding, uh, I'll be administering the Lord's Supper this morning. As we do this, I would like us to please, uh, you know what, remain seated. We're an informal crowd. <clears throat> Let's profess our faith together. When we do this and we hear one another profess the same thing, what we're saying is that we are a body, a community that really understands uh, God's grace. When we confessed our sin together, it was like we understand our own condition. We're broken. We're broken and we need the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, I ask you, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. 
He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. From the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we have this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The form of sound words. The form of right, healthy teachings. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the Lord's table. It's not the table of the... Princeville Presbyterian Church is not the table of the EPC. It's not the table of any denomination. This is the table of Christ Jesus our Lord. What's displayed here is his death, his life and his death, the offering up of his body that we may live, the giving up of his blood, the giving up of his life that we may live. It is food for our soul. It's medicine for our weakness. It is food for the journey. It is a feast in miniature in anticipation of that great day when we will sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb and be able to eat with the Lord Jesus in fullest measure, having been fully conformed to His image and brought into His presence. It says, I look back and I see the salvation which is given to me in the Lord. And I look forward because Jesus says, do this as often as you do it in my name until I come. It's looking forward to his return. This is a sermon in and of itself. 
And it's given to those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's why Paul gives a warning. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, or if you do know the Lord and right now you're disdaining Him, don't eat. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Those are the Lord's words, not mine. But for all of you who... You know the Lord. You're struggling with sin. You want to walk faithfully with the Lord. <clears throat> you, this, this is for you. So for those who don't know the Lord, if you're letting the elements pass, know this. It's a whisper. It's whispering to you. It's saying, Jesus died for sinners. Look how the Lord takes care of his people. So then, let us eat and drink with the Lord Jesus Christ in view. Let's pray and ask the Lord to set these elements aside for his purpose.